let's, let's talk a little bit about baptism today. Can we talk about, hey, who's been baptized here? A bunch of us. Yeah, same with first service. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about it. I want to talk about the way it happened in my tradition when I was growing up. I came from a pretty conservative tradition. Anybody else come from a fairly conservative tradition? A few people, right? Uh, And baptism, um, it was a point of anxiety for me. I'm going to tell you why it's a point of anxiety. It was a point of anxiety because I I was raised to believe that if you didn't get baptized, God was going to send you to the eternal torment of hell. Okay, and in my tradition, if you didn't actually get dunked under the water, brought back up, and people saying, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, you definitely were going to hell. All right, that's the tradition. The family of God part's not true. But the rest of it's true. Like, yeah, that is the anxiety I grew up with, right? So with that anxiety, uh, you know, I was scared to death as a kid. I was like, I need to get baptized. This has to happen soon. And I've told this story a bunch of times, but I remember asking my mom. I said to my mom when I was probably six or seven, I said, hey, mom, what if I die before I get baptized. And my mom, who does not believe any of this now, um, you know, God bless her, said this to me. She goes, well, you're probably okay up until the point that you're 12. And then, when, <laughs> and then when you're 12, you're able to make a decision on your own, and you should get baptized by then. And so I got baptized when I was eight, because I was like, I, don't want, I want to make sure. <laughs> like, let's be clear about all this. Like, I do not want to go to hell, I'm afraid. Um, and then I shifted that anxiety. Uh, I was now saved. Some, some, some people in my church called it fire insurance. I had the fire insurance, right? Um, I was saved. Um, but, but then my friends weren't. And I grew up on Long Island. Anybody grew up on Long Island? Nobody's, it's like, thank you, Long Islanders. First, yeah. first service, there was one. Yo, Long Islanders, strong Island. Strong Island. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I grew up on Long Island. And most people in Long Island are Catholic. And in my tradition growing up, we believed Catholics weren't Christian, right? They weren't saved as well. So, so in that, I was now anxious for my friends. I would say to them, you got to be baptized. And they were like, but we were when we were babies. Because in the Catholic tradition, they're anxious too about going to hell. So they baptize them way young, just in case, right? That's, that's what they do. And, and, and so that was like one of these things where I was like, oh, man. And then, and then I went through a period of deconstruction. So faith didn't make sense to me any longer. In fact, none of it made sense. I rebelled against all of it. I didn't want any of it. And so I used to go to church, and I used to go to this Christian camp. But the only reason me and my friends would go to this Christian camp was because they were college counselors, and we always thought we had a shot with them, even though we didn't. Um, And and so we would go. But one time, my friend got infected at the Christian camp, and he was like, hey, man, I think I need to be baptized. And I was like, don't do it. It's like, it's propaganda. I was like, they're just trying to scare you. I remember saying that very specifically. So it took about 10 years, about 10 years of reconstructing my faith, kind of getting to a place where, where you know, where this church, where, you know, I, I wanted to, to, to start a church, actually. I wanted to start a church for people like me who, who had had to deconstruct their faith, and now we're in the process of reconstruction. And so we started this church, and in starting this church, uh, I had to ask for a lot of money. And I had to ask for a lot of money from all these really big established churches all over the country. So I would ask them for money. And, and they would say to me, well, in return, we just want to know how many people you baptized. That's what we want to know. How many people are you saving? Right? And, and so that sort of put me in a place, uh, kind of a conundrum, right? Like, well, what do I believe about baptism? Because while I deconstructed and reconstructed parts of my faith, I still didn't know what I thought about baptism. While this church was going on, about a year into it, I met with somebody, and they said, I'm really concerned for people, and this person grew up in the same tradition I did. He said, I'm really concerned because we don't baptize enough people, and I'm afraid they're going to hell. And I remember saying to him, I said, like, so, so our God, the infinite and unimaginable, is so small, 
and so rules-driven and so vindictive and so angry that if we are not immersed in water and brought back up, that God is going to give us eternal torment? That sounds like a really small God. That's what I said. And then I was like, you know what? I know what I'm against, but I don't know what I'm for. Isn't that a problem with Christianity sometimes? Like, we know what we're against. We don't know what we are for. And so I had to think about baptism very consciously. And I did, and I was like, you know what? I believe in it. Not only do I believe in it, I I think it's really good news. Not only do I think it's really good news, I don't think it's a dividing line between heaven and hell where some are in and some are out. That's incredibly good news. And then you all ready for this? I think the way we focus on baptism could change the way we look at Christianity for the next... Y'all, say that with some enthusiasm. (laughs) Yeah, I, I legitimately do. I legitimately believe that we are ushering in a new way of looking at baptism as well. So here's what I don't want to do today. We're in our debunked series. We're debunking like, you know, passages that are kind of famous in our scriptures and we're debunking Christian ideas. I'm not debunking baptism. That's not what I'm doing. I think baptism is incredibly important and I think it's really good news. I'm debunking the idea that it's a dividing line, that it decides if we are in or out We're in God's will or out of God's will. And if we're going to hell or going to heaven, that's what I want to debunk. I want to talk about why I think baptism is is a life-affirming thing. So the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to talk about Pentecost. Can we talk about Pentecost? How many people have heard of Pentecost today? All right, so we're going to talk about it. And here's the thing with Pentecost. It's this really interesting kind of uh, event that happens early on in the life of Christianity. I want to read to you uh, Pentecost. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? A few things we got to know, all right? Number one, this is back when Christianity was super new. In fact, most people believe there might have only been like 300 Christians, Okay, in, in all of the world. Okay? To give you some like, idea of that, our church is a church of maybe like 400, 450. Our church is bigger than Christianity at the time that Pentecost happened. Okay? That, that gives us some idea. And they weren't thought of as Christians. They weren't thought of as a religion. They were thought of as a cult. All right? They were considered as wacky and as crazy as we think when we hear that word cult. Right? The ones that like you know, mass suicide and spaceships to where is it, Venus or whatever. Like, it's, it was that kind of crazy for them to, to, to think about. Um, not only that, uh, uh, but the Roman Empire was watching them because just like our government watches cults, like, so did the Roman Empire. So you have this really interesting group of people that's all coming together that at best are considered a cult, all right? That's happening. And not only that, but they're all Jewish, which is a good thing. And they're all celebrating. They're celebrating this giant festival. It's called the Festival of Shavuot. Okay, that's what they're celebrating. And at this festival, everybody in the known Jewish world would come to Jerusalem. They would descend on Jerusalem, and y'all, it was a party, a good party, like Mardi Gras, all right? What were they all celebrating? They were all celebrating when God gave Moses um, the law. That's what they're celebrating. So you have about 70 different languages there at this party, at this festival, at this celebration in Jerusalem. Now, it's not as many as New York, but you know, they're trying. 
And so that's the way it is, right? And so when they start speaking the same language, when the Spirit of God comes upon them, all of a sudden they're like, well, I understand what, I understand all the languages from all the people that are here and we're partying and we're having a good time. And so this is what they say. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I love that because it is a party, right? And everybody's like, no, we're going to drink. Right? And this is what Peter says. Peter's a disciple. He says this. He says, you know what, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. For some of y'all, that doesn't matter. And if that's the case, let's talk. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter like, throws out this, this, this passage that was spoken by a prophet. This is what it says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, let's break this apart, because there's a lot of language here that's sort of confusing, right? What's going on? Well, if you were a prophet back in those days, you were, you were um, identified at birth. Okay? You were identified at birth as someone who was going to be a prophet. And generally what would happen is you followed another law. Okay? You followed this law, you had to take a, a, these really specific steps in the way that you were raised. And in fact, you were usually taken from your family, and you were raised among priests. Okay? That's generally what happened if you were going to be a prophet. And so you were set aside from day one to be a person who God could speak through. And it was rare, and it only happened to a select few. That's it. Right? So it was a very specific boundary. God would speak through you, but only if you were taken from your family early, raised in the temple, brought up in this way, followed this kind of law. And now what Peter's saying, is he's saying, hey, you know what's happening? It's what, it's what Joel said. Everybody has God speaking through them. All of us are included in this, the men and the women. And so what you have to imagine is a bunch of people have always been told that only a few have God speaking through them. Now everybody is men and women. The men don't have to go through that whole lifelong process and go live in the temple in order to have God speaking through them? Wow. Women, women were still considered property at that time, right? First century. Women too? you got to be kidding me. Women, I don't even, re you know, and by the way, and I say this all the time, but it's always worth saying every time somebody says women can't preach, point to Pentecost and tell them to shut up. Cool? All right. Um, and I lost my train of thought because I'm so heated about that. <laughs> women should be preaching. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's good, it's good. I love that God does. So God includes women. God includes, and then God includes servants. Now, this is unheard of. Why would you include? God does not speak through servants. They're the lowest of the low. Why would God speak through them? And Peter goes, nope, it's happening. God is speaking through all of us at this point, right now at this time. So all of a sudden, this thing that has been a boundary, this thing that has been an in or an out, and the in is only for a select few, is now open to everybody. It's such good news, and it's so paradigm shifting. I try to explain like how, like the only way I can describe it is, is if like maybe like a group like ISIS all of a sudden had the word of the Lord upon them, and we all celebrated it. Like, do you see how like paradigm shifting that is? Like, that's the best way I can describe it. In fact, it's so paradigm shifting, so world shifting, that it might feel like the sun is turning dark. 
And it might feel like the, the, the moon is turning blood red. Like it's shifting our, the entire way we see the world. That's where we get that language from. It's metaphorical language. Okay, that's what's going on there. So people are like, whoa, this is incredible. My whole worldview is shifting. This is inclusive. We all can hear the word of God. What should we do? What do we do? And then this is what Peter says. Peter says, hey, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay, repent and be baptized has turned into some, some kind of um, weaponized language, right? It's become a little bit weaponized. It's actually really good news as well. Incredibly good. Like this, this, this had everybody, like everybody heard like, repent and be baptized for real? We Seriously? Like people were excited. It's like kids on Christmas. That's what it felt like. Repent simply means this. It means change your perspective. Right, so whereas your perspective was once that only a few people could have God using them, working through them, now everybody has God working through them, right? That's a good perspective to change. You're opening it up. You're being inclusive. You're being affirming. You're saying that, that people who are on the outside are always in and have always been considered in. Repent. Change your perspective on that and be baptized. Now, this was the really good news part. I'm going to tell you why it was the really good news part. Because the truth is we're all sinners, every single one of us. Okay? I don't think we're born that way. I think God sees us as good. But, you know, we do stuff that gets in the way of the peace that God intends. And if you say you don't, you're lying, which means you're sinning. <laughs> which is a joke I use all the time. <laughs> so dumb. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so, so they're like, okay, we, when, when we wanted to be uh, baptized, or we, we want to get rid of our sin, what we had to do is we had to be baptized first. It was called a mikvah, okay? So if you wanted to be baptized, if you wanted to get rid of your sin, you would have to be mikvah, which means you, you went to the temple and there was a bath that was legitimately about the size of this, okay? And you would get in and you would dunk your body and you would come up and a priest would look at you and turn you around and make sure you were clean. And the priest would say, okay, now you can go into the temple and now you can go ask God for forgiveness. And now you can maybe hope that God will forgive you. That's sort of the way it all played out. But what Peter is saying is going, hey, everybody, change your perspective, and everybody, let's get mikvahed. And everybody's like, what? We all can? Because here's the deal. A lot of people couldn't be mikvahed. That, again, was an in or an out thing. That, again, was a thing that some people could do and other people couldn't. For instance, if you had nocturnal emissions, no mikvah. <laughs> if you had sex, no mikvah. If you had your period, no mikvah. And then there's a bunch of other ones. I'm going to read them to you. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. No mikvah. No one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even the tenth generation. No Ammonite, Moabite, or their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even the tenth generation. And then there's this whole big thing about why that's the case. So basically, in the law that they are celebrating... That law says that only a few can be mikvah, only a few can be baptized, only a few can actually come into this place and stand before God and ask for their sins to be given. Only a few. And what Peter is saying is, hey, the time is upon us where every single one of us get to stand before God. Not only do we get to stand before God, we get to be included. We get to stand before God and know that we are already loved, that our sins are already forgiven. That's what we get to do. We get to stand before God and we get to know that, that, that not, we have no shame because God has never given us that shame. We can stand before God and say, you know what? We have always been in a place where you see us as your child. 
all the time. It's never not been that way. It's not a dividing line. What baptism does in this situation is erases that line and says all are welcome, all are in, all are so loved that we have the privilege of bringing peace to this place. And so Peter says, y'all, let's get baptized. And they're like, put the law. And he goes, nope, erase it. That's a dividing line. You're all included. You're all affirmed. You're all loved. You're all for justice. You're all for grace. You are all going to help bring that peace. Let's show it through baptism. They went from 300 to 2,000 on that day. Because can you imagine being told that you're on the outside looking in and then finally get told the truth that you've been on the inside all along? And I think that's true for us today. I think today, for me, I'll start with me. There have been times that I think I'm on the outside. There have been times that I feel shame. There have been times that I've done things in my life where I'm like, I remember back when I was in that tradition when I was a kid, I'd be like, I should get baptized six, seven, eight, nine times because I don't know. I don't know if God loves me. And then it gets even harder because there are some of us based on identity or orientation or, or other reasons who have been told that we are not good before God. In fact, we've, we've heard things like, God loves you, but you got to get baptized or else, right? Or God loves you, but change this thing. And that is the lie. What baptism is showing us is an erasure of a line that says, because of who you are, you've always been good. Because of who you are, you are a child of God. Because of who you are, you are included and loved. And because of who you are, because of who you are, those times where you don't bring peace, those times where you are sinning, you're still loved. You're still included. And I still use you to bring peace. That is the good news that all of us in this room have to hear today, regardless of who we are. That is how God sees us. That's how God has always seen us. And baptism is a public display of that. Now, that's something we're celebrating. It's not a matter of being anxious about somebody being like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, now they're baptized. Thank God they're in heaven. No. It's going, thank God, because they've always been seen as included, loved, affirmed. Y'all, our baptisms, our baptisms are not so that we go to some place in the afterlife. Our baptisms are a constant reminder that we are children of God. And our baptisms are a constant reminder that we get to go out and tell other people the good news that regardless of the lies they've been told, they're also children of God. Y'all, if you haven't been baptized, I got news for you. You're a child of God. And if you haven't been baptized, I got news for you. You get to still go out and be used by God and be told that other people are children of God regardless of the lies that they have been told. But regardless, baptism is a celebration. Baptism is a way that we get to celebrate the fact that our God is good. That our God is not some vindictive God waiting for us to mess up. That our God is not some vindictive God that's like, follow the rules or else, get baptized or else. No, our God is like, you've always been my child. Now go and bring peace and let other people know that they're my children too. That's what baptism represents. And that's why it brings in the next 500 years. Now, first service, somebody got baptized. It was pretty cool. It was really cool. We should give them a hand. They're not here. <laughs> this service, we don't have anybody ready to be baptized. And that to me is okay. I don't think we need that right now. But what we do get to do right now, and what I, how I do want to close this out is this way. I want us all to pray. So what I'm going to ask is, if you're able, just to stand with me. And we're just standing, and we're just going to for lack of a better term, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the fact that there is no dividing line. We're going to celebrate the fact that there is nothing that stops us from receiving the love of God, regardless of who you are. And we're going to pray that prayer of thanks right now. 
And if for any reason at all, you're like, hey, I was baptized in this really anxious way and I want to get baptized again. Cool. Come talk to me. All right. But right now, let's just celebrate the fact that we are loved and that God uses us. Will you pray with me? God, infinite, everlasting, unimaginable God, you see us. And even in the midst of uh, the times when we don't bring peace, even in the midst of the times we feel broken, even in the midst of the times that we believe the lies that are told to us, you see us as good. You see us as perfect. You see us as, as your child. Thank you, God, for that. God, thank you for the fact that <laughs> that your, your the death and resurrection of your son always brings inclusion. It always brings affirmation. It always brings love. Thank you for that. God, allow us to have the boldness and the courage to leave this room today, not only proclaiming that we're, we're wholly loved, but that others are wholly loved as well with no ifs, ends, or buts attached to it. And God, we thank you for the grace that comes during Pentecost, the beauty that comes in baptism. We pray this in your name. Amen.